Okay, so what is the most annoying thing about South Florida theater and what do we need to do in order to change it? All right. So I say this with all the love of, for all of the theaters and the actors I work with and the production companies I work with. Okay, but. so we, so, okay, so of course, lead in with love. Go ahead. <laughs> I remember this. Problem. I remember right. this now. Okay, go that, ahead. That caused a big problem for two reasons. Um, one, you know, you have these, well, the big reason is that Bill is a critic and also on the board for the Carbonells. So he's, here's a critic and a board member of the Carbonell who is basically telling people that these are the actors who he likes, who he, is, who he views favorably, and who he is more inclined to recommend the show possibly give give a vote towards it towards an award and it was really frustrating because these were the names that he had put in there for a bunch of different ones we're all fantastic performers i'm not trying to take away from them they are all wonderful performers who i love seeing perform who i've gone to their shows i've promoted their shows but they're the same names that we see all the time all the time meanwhile you have so many other actors who are just as qualified who may even be more suited for a role and 
more so by restricting and, and shutting out other performers because we have this predetermined friend group. Um, it's it's one of the reasons you know that I think a lot of actors down here don't they don't they leave you know they go elsewhere. Um, and so that's a, that's a big problem for me. I, I think if if we needed to fix, you know, if that was something that I someone gave me the choice to fix, that I would fix, you know, is to say, hey, you know, give people a fair shake, and you know, don't automatically disregard them because oh, they've only done community theater. You know, not all of us are <laughs> are able to do you know professional stuff right out the gate. Um, you know, and and give give new voices and new faces a chance to shine. Well. As we are going through the uh, multi-era, let's put it that way. We've got the era of COVID-19, and now we have a situation where there is a stand being taken, and there is reckoning to deal with, and the three words that we always come across right now, at this very moment, is diversity, equality, and inclusion. And it doesn't necessarily really mean just for uh, people of different heritages and different ethnicities. We're also talking about people who have, like you say, the same rank as the people that you see on stage. But you can also diversify your talent in that same accord. You can also provide... Uh, equality with other talent two people come from different you know backgrounds but have the same track and the same talent circulation that is also a word that that definitely needs to be put in the conversation as well circulation so not always what like you were saying before using the same people for roles um, once again giving other people uh, a chance, giving other people uh, an opportunity in order to showcase themselves. And um, uh, I don't mean to toot my own, well, okay, I'll toot my own horn. Um, We at my company, where we produce talent shows, we're always looking for uh, multiple personalities. Uh, We're always trying to keep ourselves fresh in that track so i feel that we have done a good job in order to diversify our talent but we could always do more we could always uh provide more opportunities for other people who may not have the same background as others and of course now most people are looking over their shoulder just making sure that they're able to Uh, provide opportunities for everyone that is just as talented as the people that they've already have. Um, Let me ask you another question. Um, You read the open letter for the uh, Carbonells from, I guess, multiple theaters uh, via the South Florida Theater League. What's your take on that? understand that you know everything in history has its time so 
you know, I, I get that. Um, I'm happy to see that it's, that it's happening. Um, you know, and, and I, I, the cynic, the cynic in me <laughs> is hopeful that it's, that it doesn't just stop there. You know, I, I hope that there's accountability. I hope that it facilitates actual change for people so that this can actually be a more inclusive and much richer, uh, environment than it currently is. Hmm. Okay. So as uh, I am speaking, I, I, should, I should actually set the table here of who I'm actually speaking with. Of course, you're listening to the Kevin Johnson program as we speak to individuals who shape the culture of arts and entertainment here in South Florida. You can find us on anchor.fm forward slash Kev John Pro. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, also at Kev John Pro. So the words that just actually started this installment comes from Constance Moreau. Once again, that is Constance Moreau. Constance is an actor in the South Florida theater market. Uh, she also uh, straddles a civilian assignment, which we will talk about a little later on. And if for the people who have listened to this podcast know that we're very transparent here, uh, we tried to uh, do this before. And uh, unfortunately, with the wonderful uh, world of technology, of course, connection uh, wasn't that great. So we're doing take two this time. Once more with feeling, you might say. And this is basically what actors go through. They go through multiple takes just to make sure that they, they get it right. So we're on uh, number two here. So like I said, uh, I'm speaking with Constance again. And of course, Constance has performed at uh, with multiple theater companies. Uh, how I met Constance is through a benefit uh, with the Outre Theater Company, uh, which is unfortunately has... Uh, has uh, gone on to uh, other pastures at the moment. Um, but I met her there and I could see right away that she uh, is a service person. And what I mean by that is that she is always willing to help, always willing to, to lend a hand wherever uh, that case may be. Um, Constance has uh, contributed to a couple of our programs with my company. She has been a conduit and a liaison for a show that we did a couple of years ago at a venue where uh, unfortunately the technical director was not too happy with me because of all the different acts that we had to put together. So Constance was the calm during that storm in order to be the liaison between promoter and uh, tech. So uh, I'm sure that I've, uh, I've thanked you for that before, but I will thank you again because I could feel the glare <laughs> on, my, on, on my side coming through. So the way that you were able to block that glare, um, I appreciate that. So it was my pleasure. Thank you. So um, I think I, I, Unfortunately, um, do with trans also do with transparency. 
uh, we never actually saved that episode. So we talked a little bit about uh, background and how you got started in uh, theater, in acting, but um, I suppose we need to go through that again. But before anything, I always ask, are you a Florida native? Yes. Okay, okay. Uh, born and raised in South Florida? Yep, I was born in Hollywood, so I've lived my whole life in Broward County. Okay, all right. So let's fast forward a bit. And let's uh, get into the whole thing about what made you want to get into the performing arts. Uh, well, uh, you mentioned Utre Theater Company uh, previously, and I actually credit them with my uh, beginnings in art. Um, I came to a show of theirs um, that they were putting on when they were based in Boca, and it was a phenomenal, you know, show it was you know not children it was not meant for children you know there were there was a warning page you know um in the uh in the program listing all of the warnings and you know sexual content and in profanity and and pornography all sorts of wonderful things um that i knew meant i was going to be in for a good time um the show was um mr marmalade which had um several wonderful wonderful actors in it and at the time I didn't know any of them um but it, it sparked you know in me I said okay I, mean, I want to make sure that I catch more shows from this company so I, I signed up for their newsletter and one of the newsletter emails that I got from them said hey we're doing auditions and I said you know what I I think I want to give that a try um and they were doing a fellow and back of the throat and another piece I can't remember off the top of my head and um I decided that I wanted to try it, you know, you know, go and try my best and see what happened. Um, and so I decided to do that. And I was going to audition for a part in Back of the Throat, um, which was a played by one woman, and she played three different roles. So one of the roles was, uh, was like a stripper and a librarian and the girlfriend of a character. So I decided that I would go, and they, were, they put out sides for the stripper. You know, they say, don't dress for the job you have, dress for the jobs you want. Right. Yes, we talked yeah. about this story, so proceed. Yes. So I decided that I would go for the stripper part, and I was going to dress for the stripper part. So I dressed up in, you know, fishnets and shorty shorts and really tall leather boots and, you know, a neon pink bra and a and a slouchy shirt and decided to go to the audition dressed for the part. And I should probably say at this point that the auditions were held at Seoul's Children's Theater. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> so here I am, if anyone's been to Seoul, their, uh, their um, lobby is quite um, cozy, very intimate. And so here I am dressed as a rather convincing stripper walking into a children's theater lobby. <laughs> to give this audition and I'm, you know, I walk in and it's jam packed full of professional actors who are dressed like professional actors, you know, in dresses and slacks and, you know, ties and, 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 and not what I was wearing. Um, and so it was quite an awkward, uh, initiation into the world of South Florida theater. You stood um, out though. It did. You know what? Cause I got called back on that show. 
Um, I didn't get the part uh, at the end, but I did get called back, and it was so much fun, and I, you know, was so nervous because I really didn't have any training. I didn't have any experience in theater, really, besides maybe, I don't know, a middle school show. Um, You know, so it was really sort of a let me go in and see what happens kind of thing, and it was fascinating. Um, But uh, but it was definitely... (laughs) It was definitely an interesting experience. Um, And so that was my first foray into acting when I decided it was something I really wanted to do. Um, I was at the time uh, going to Florida Atlantic University for my bachelor's degree, and I needed um, another class for my credits so I could get my loan. And uh, because of my work schedule, you know, I had limited options, and I ended up selecting acting one. Um, to fill in, I said, "Hey, you know, I need a, I need a, an arts credit, and this looks really fun, and it fits my schedule. Why not?" And that class was taught by uh, Elizabeth Price, um, who, you know, is a wonderful South Florida actor, and she also is an adjunct professor at FAU. Right. So, <laughs> we actually had her as a guest before as well. Yeah, she's she's a phenomenal actor, and I'm so happy to call her my friend. Um, you know, but I had just met her for this acting one class and, you know, the first day you go around and you introduce yourself and she says, you know, what's your experience with acting? And we get to me and I said, oh, well, you know, I, I don't really have anything. I just did these, uh, auditions at Utre got called back, but I didn't cast. Um, and she looks at me and she goes, oh, now we recognize you. I've been trying to place you. You were the stripper. (laughs) (laughs) First impressions. First, first impressions. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So I do remember. I Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I said so. That was how I started. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I, I do remember asking, uh, did you keep the ensemble that you wore at the auditions? Do you still have that ensemble? <laughs> I have pieces of it. I have pieces. Unfortunately, the boots, uh, the boots are no more. Sadly. <laughs> okay. So. Once you get through that and you're taking classes at FAU, what was your third? What was your first theatrical assignment? So my very first, well, and I think we talked about this before. My first uh, job, my first paid job, um, because my first time on stage actually was with. Um, I did a reading. I mean, I did a reading with 16th Century um, for Titus Andronicus, and then I did on stage. I had done. Um, Elephant Man at Andrew's uh, Living Arts uh, Theater, um, which is now uh, has been closed for some time. Um, but my first paid performance um, was with uh, Infinite Abyss in Wilton Manor. They're now part of um, the Wilton Theater Factory and the Foundry. Um, and we did a show called The Ghosts of the Grand Guignol, which um, was a four-part sort of like a vignettes, four vignettes, and it was uh, right around, actually, it opened um, October of, of that year. It was Halloween, you know, themed, which if anybody's ever been to shows at Abyss, Halloween and gory and scary is their bread and butter. They do it very well, and it's so much fun to do there. Um, so we we did that show, um, and my I got to play a bunch of different roles in a bunch of, you know, in four different, in, in three of the four vignettes. Um, and my favorite role from that was I got to play in a patient from a 20th century um, insane asylum. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was it was so fantastic. You know, it was murderous, and I got to you know really let loose and, and try a bunch of different things. 
So would you say how many um, paid gigs? I know the most recent one uh, I saw you in was uh, you did a production of A Few Good Men with the Pembroke Pines Theater of the Performing Arts. And that was around the time when they started to transition from being a community theater to compensating both front and back of house. So we were their second quote unquote professional show. Okay. Okay. So between your first uh, paid gig and up to that point, because after that, of course, we are now into the COVID era. And while we're recording, of course, you know, live performances are sputtering back. Um, we're probably not going to be expecting like full on live performances until next year. But uh, how many uh, gigs uh, would that be right now? for the Florida, Florida Renaissance Festival as well, because I was paid as a paid actor for that as well. Um, but probably about 10, 10 gigs in total. Plus I had, you know, I had some unpaid stuff in there as well. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm very much a part-time theater performer again, because I do have a regular job that sort of limits my availability. Mm-hmm. Now, have you uh, partaken in any of the, uh, say the uh, the festivities uh, or the uh, events where just the market just gets together, like say like the Carbonell Awards or any of the uh, meetings where you know you get people get to see your face, you get to uh, shake hands with uh, other producers. Um, I have. I mean, I you know I've, I've been to the Carbonells, I've been to the Silver Palms. Um, a few times, you know, and I, to support friends who've been, you know, nominated, um, you know, but I, I, I'm sure there are other events that I, I haven't been able to attend either because maybe they're too far for me to drive or, you know, I might be working. Um, but I, I have been to some, some events, some fundraisers, participated in some fundraisers, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we talk about, of course, you do theater as a side hustle, but of course your main source of income is that you've been working uh, for the town of Davie uh, as a dispatcher, which of course you publicly disclosed. So what made you decide to uh, get into uh, dispatch? Uh, well, um, I started when I was 20. Um, I... I had wanted to be a police officer, you know, um, but I, at the time, uh, our department required you to be 21. So I said, well, you know, let me, let me start elsewhere and, and, and then, you know, apply later. Um, and I actually thought I was going to be a service aide. Um, you know, one of the, the civilians on the road who goes and handles, you know, non-emergency stuff, like, you know, accidents and, you know, delayed theft calls and stuff. And then I found out when they hired me, they said, okay, we'll see you in communications on Monday. And I was like, oh, well, this is what I'm doing. All right. Um, and it just sort of, that's where I've been from there. Of course, you are in a field where uh, you work alongside law enforcement. And of course, at this particular time, law enforcement is being challenged now more than ever. 
So when you walk through those corridors, how do you relieve the tension that is in the room? Okay, so I only caught, I, my, my internet kind of flubbed on that a little bit. I only caught part of that question. I'm so sorry. Well, like I said, once that? again, technology. So we'll I see. Know, I know, we were well, doing so well. <laughs> I know. Okay, so um, take three. <laughs> Okay, so what I was asking is that you are in a position where you're, you deal hand-in-hand hand with law enforcement. Um, basically, what I was basically saying is that now more, now more than ever, law enforcement is being challenged due to um, you know, the fight against police brutality and systemic racism. So since you have an assignment, since you work hand in hand with law enforcement, um, when you walk through the corridors, the corridors through the office, mm -hmm. do you feel more tension now than when you started 13 years ago? Oh, let's see. Tension, I don't think is the right word. Um, I, let, well, let me, let me say this. I am left a lot of my politics. Um, I always have been, and as I've grown older, I've just moved a little more to the left, um, which for a lot of people at my job, that puts me at a, a perpendicular to them. Um, and that's fine by me. I don't mind it. And, you know, it's just the way it is. Are you um, alt-left? So, am I what? Are you alt-left? Are you like extreme left? Um, I don't know if I'm extreme left, um, but I am you know, I, you know, I support, you know, I'm pro-choice and I, you know, I support Black Lives Matter and, you know, um, there are issues where people, you know, some people probably don't think that I'm, you know, as left as they are and that's fine too. Um, but I definitely am left of many of my coworkers, you know, in better officers and, and whatnot. Um, and that's, you know, and that's fine. It's never really been an issue that I'm aware of, um, you know, but there is a distinct, there's a distinct separation. I see that there are some officers who do what traditionally officers have done, which is they circle the wagons and they close ranks and, you know, they stand behind that blue wall of silence or, or um, you know, and, and that's how they choose to deal with what's going on in the world. Um, which I personally, I think that's been a contributing factor to the way things have been um, and part of why police are getting, you know, backlash. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have others who are, you know, they are open to dialogue, they're open to communication, they are you know, open to learning and correcting mistakes and, you know, unpacking the, the biases and the, you know, things that they've had ingrained in them. Um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, they're all people. So, you know, they're all reactions. They're all going to be individual. Um, but that's kind of how I've, how I've noticed stuff. Um, but I, I, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of been my, my observation okay. on this. I do notice, I do notice more online as opposed to in person, just because, you know, which I think we all do because people are much more, uh, freely spoken <laughs> online, you know, because you're lacking that face-to-face -face consequence of, you know, 
upsetting someone or getting into an argument with someone, in, you know, in person. It's much easier to do that online. But, however, it does also seem that the words that people say online, and once again, it goes back to public record, because people, I mean, you have one side where uh, social media has been much more amplified than it's ever been, and it ever will be, because I've always said, or not, let me backtrack. I have said that the internet has created empowerment for introverts. You can say whatever you want to online anonymously, and it would take a long time in order to find out who that person is. Right. When I say online, I'm talking about like Facebook, you know, where your name and your photo is attached. I'm not talking about like, you know, weird 4chan forums or something. (laughs) Right, right. I understand. But what, what, what I was also getting to is that there are also consequences to that. Because even though we use freedom of speech um, and we also post our opinions online through these social media sites and they are public record, um, sometimes that bleeds over into our personal life. So some person can say whatever they want to online with an opinion and the next mm-hmm. day they have no job anymore. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I mean that is a real that is a real risk um you know I mean we're we are you know union employees so there is that you know extra you know protection for people which I know some people are upset about but you know that is part of part of the deal. Um but yeah no like there's a, you know, there's a saying people, you know, when people always talk about freedom of speech and yeah, freedom of speech, but not freedom from consequences, you know, so you can say a bunch of, you know, racist or bigoted stuff, bigoted stuff online. That's your right. You go right ahead. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to tell everybody I know, Hey, that guy's a racist bigot. Don't trust him. Mm-hmm. Of course. What is, what is your take on cancel culture? Because that's also something that is, uh, that has actually become rampant um and the the flip side to that is that people are hypersensitive these days and um can't take a joke but at the same time if people have learned from their mistakes and have apologized and of course truly mean it do we still have the wherewithal or even the right to come down on them? So that's a great question. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of aspects to this. So I'm going to try and answer it uh, as best as possible. So when it comes to cancel culture, um, so somebody does something, and whether it's sexist, racist, transphobic, whatever the case may be, um, and they do something, and it hits one of those you know, is it, and they get called out on it. First off, they need to understand, and everyone needs to understand, your impact matters way more than your intention. Um, somebody likened it to, if I step on your foot and you say, ow, that hurt, I don't get to say, well, I didn't mean it, stop crying. My job is to say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Are you hurt? What can I do? What can, you know, and then, I'm, and then it's my job to be more mindful and careful and aware 
moving forward. That would be ideal. So, right. So when we talk about cancel culture, we, if someone does something and they get called out on it, how they react to that is very important. If, you know, if they react, you know, all defensively or dismissively or mockingly, um, then yeah, I have no problem saying, you know what, you don't get any of my money, you don't get any of my time, you, you know, I'm not going to your production, I'm not buying your merchandise or, or whatever that may be, because I have a choice of who I get to build up with my with my money. Um, but if a person comes from a place of ignorance and they don't know that they've done something wrong and it's brought to their attention and they acknowledge that they messed up, and they work towards not doing that again if they unpack their their preconceived notions and their biases and they don't do those things that are harmful to people then no i don't necessarily think they should be canceled um and i and i and i understand that sometimes it's hard to tell sometimes it's it's really easy to get swept up in you know this person says something and oh my god how could they and how could they not know that this was you know, offensive in X manner and get rid of them. I also think that cancel culture sometimes jumps the gun because it also tends to, you know, launch before we've had like a response from the offending party, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I feel that those, that kind of stuff needs to be taken methodically and it, it's not, that doesn't always happen, but I, I'm absolutely here for, you know, canceling a person or a brand or a show or whatever the case may be if what they're doing or promoting whether professionally or personally is harmful to other people um you know jk rawlings a perfect example you know she has repeatedly and unapologetically made so many transphobic remarks um and it's it's not okay you know um she she clearly doesn't think she's wrong and she clearly has no intention of changing or wanting to learn or wanting to understand. And so, you know, whatever, I don't have to give her my money, you know? So as, and I love, <laughs> I, you know, I love Harry Potter. I'm a Slytherin, but I'm not going to sit here and give her my money. I'm not going to go to Harry Potter world. I'm not going to go see her movies, you know, like the second, uh, whatever it is, um, first child or, or any of those things. I'm not going to do it. But did you, you know? burn your, um, but, but did you burn the books? Do you have the books still? So I don't, I don't have the books. Um, and there's a whole thing online and, and groups who are like, you know, I like the, 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 or the story, but I, how do I separate it from the person? And so there are people online who say, well, look, you know, you can do things that don't give her money, such as buy those books secondhand. She doesn't get any money. Get those books from a friend who has them. So you're not giving money to her. Um, and so... I think we have to balance that whole is, is it possible to divest the, the creator from the art? Um, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Um, you know, can we talk about how great a piece of art is without somehow secondhand praising the creator? And that's a little more difficult, you know, um, like we can look at things like, um, Roman Polanski or, you know, Woody Allen and look at their work and we can say, well, yeah, their work's really great, but you can't really praise it without also somehow praising them and they don't deserve praise or money or anything. So it becomes a little more difficult 
in that re- in that regard. Of um, course. How do you once again? How do you separate the art from the person? Right. Right, and then it also you know that also branches out into an even broader topic. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that anybody should be put on a pedestal. <laughs> like it just really shouldn't happen um, because they will almost always disappoint you in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and we see that because when we have that conversation, we start branching out into art, and I think there's this big part of our culture that doesn't really want to address people who have done harm to others because it means we have to give up the things that we that have influenced us by them such as you know music you know look at you know things like you know elvis presley david bowie you know they were doing things with teenage girls that are not appropriate and but people don't want to talk about that because they've idolized these people and they've idolized their work and they're not ready to do the big thing of divesting themselves from the art that they feel some of them feel are has shaped who they are as a person and so it's very difficult of course i mean the first thing that comes to mind present day for me is r kelly i mean he's racked up so many accolades as an artist however of course once you bury things they do come to light and to know that you know he has done all these despicable things as a person um it does once again once you put someone up on a pedestal and the one thing that happens of course there's a lot of heart heartbreak and disappointment at the end of it and um come to uh come to a point where I feel like there's a lot of escapism involved in it as well because here we are with our normal lives and then we look at the you know these other people who have talent and have all this money and have all this uh, gloss and we feel like we want to step into their shoes uh, it, like I said, it causes almost like an escapism. And then once we find out who they really are, we don't want to go back to that reality. So exactly. It is, it is very difficult. And I think, you know, bringing that back around to South Florida and, and theater, you know, I mean, with everything that's happened with things, you know, we, we, you know, I briefly touched on, you know, you know, some of these other, um, houses in South Florida, you know, there, you know, all these things, it becomes very difficult. You know, you want to support actors and houses, but you also don't want to give support to people who are harmful and toxic and who don't deserve that support. Um, and, and it can be very uh, intertwined and some might even say incestuous. Um, and it, it, be, it can be very difficult. Um, you know, there are certain places that I won't work in South Florida um, because of things that I know are wrong, such as, you know, whether they are racist or bigoted towards other performers or they don't value performer safety. Um, You know, that's just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not willing to put my name to their house. I just am not. And I know that costs me money. And I know that I'm speaking from a place of privilege because I have a regular safe job and I know other actors don't, especially now when, so many people have been out of work for so long. And, you know, I mean, if they're going to do that, that's their prerogative. And they have to determine, is the money, you know, worth them putting their name to something that, you know, or someone 
um, that is that is toxic. Mm-hmm. Well, it all you know comes full circle about that you know blue line and the code of silence that oh, yeah. we talk about, and I'm sure that there is uh, multiple gatekeepers in any craft in any type of industry not only just the theater industry but since you know we both have the theater backgrounds uh let's talk about um let's talk about have you yourself as a caucasian person um have you provided yourself an own checklist to make sure that of course um you are open to you know well of course diversity and inclusion and and uh equality because of course you know once that date hit of may 25th it just seemed like there was just this tsunami that happened and there was a lot of things that seemed to have come crashing down so once again of course you know you have us looking over our shoulder just to make sure that we haven't offended anyone with either our micro or macro aggressions towards people of other backgrounds. So it's like, I'm sure that people have wagged their finger at you, but have you kept in a place that you are confident that um, you have, you know, made sure that you are good of good humor, of good nature, and uh, kind to your fellow person. Can't say fellow man anymore, because those time that's outdated. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, so one of the things is that I like when we talk about humor. Uh, you mentioned humor. I I don't really believe in humor that punches down, because um, that's not really humor. It's just bullying. <laughs> um, so I, I really don't. I, I really haven't had an issue in that regard. Um, I do have to check myself if I feel, you know, someone says something that I don't agree with, you know, they'll say, oh, well, this is, you know, racist or institutional racist because X, Y, Z. And I, if I feel myself maybe feeling, I don't want to say offended, but feeling, you know, um, adverse to that, I have to stop myself and say, well, why? Why do I feel this way? Would I feel this way if it were changed around to something else? You know, and I have to really sit, sit there and unpack, but I also have made a point to go to people, you know, from whatever group we're talking about. So if we're talking about trans rights, you know, listening to trans people who are teaching. We're talking about the lives of black people and the challenges of black people and the racism that they face. I'm not going to go to Robin D'Angelo. She's a white lady. What is she what does she have any she doesn't have any business teaching anything about racism. Especially if she doesn't have any business profiting off of it. That's the conversation. Um I'm going to, I go to black people who are teachers. You know, I'm not asking my black friends to do the emotional labor of trying to teach me about my racism. You know, it, don't, don't do that. <laughs> that's, that's not okay. That's putting work on them. That's, that's not their work. That's your work to do. You know, our job as, uh, as white people is to go to black people, especially black women and go to the people who are teachers, who are, you know, putting themselves out there as teachers. It is our job to go to them. It is our job to pay them. Do not ask for free labor. How how absolutely 
titled and entitled that is. It is our job to pay them for their expertise, as we would expect to be paid for our expertise, and learn from them. That is what we are supposed to be doing, and that is what I try to do. You know, we there are books to buy, there are you know consultants, there are TED talks, there are so many things out there, and so many resources out there um, for us to do. But it is on us, white people, to do the work. And it is on us to seek it out. And we're not seeking it out because, oh, I want to have better relations with my friends. We're not seeking it out so that we can get cookies and, you know, pats on the back for, you know, our anti-racism. And be invited to the barbecue. Right, exactly. (laughs) We should be doing it because it's the right thing to do. And we should be doing it because people who look like us are the ones who made this entire shit show as it is. So it's on us to do this. It's on us to break down these systems that are in place that produce, maintain, you know, racism and other uh, inequalities in our society. So that is what I'm trying to do. Do I always succeed? No, I don't. Um, but I, I have worked a lot on myself to not let defensiveness be my first reaction. Instead, it's, you know, why do I feel this way? Why am I reacting this way? Okay, let's, you know, let's unpack. Let's get to the root of why this is. And let's, you know, tear down the preconceived ideas and reasons that we have and and listen to what this person is saying. Because the person who's teaching you, you know, they are teaching from not only their own lived experiences, which are, you know, as true as you can get, but also, you know, historical context, you know, of the last hundreds of years you know, that, you know, of why and how things are and things have gotten to where they are. Does that answer your question? Of course. Of course. Okay. Um, now, I know that when I chose you as my guest that I know that uh, I was going to, uh, we were going to get into these topics because, of course, you're very outspoken, you're very passionate about uh, society and uh and things of that nature um so i appreciate the uh, discourse and thank you very much um one of the things of i i wanted to ask as well is that how do you feel about once again we talk about the extreme because we have of course the people uh such as yourself and who are willing to check their privilege. It's a common defense mechanism to say that, um, you know, the first, the, first, the first thing that we do is we get to defense as opposed to saying, well, let's see. Let me check to see if, you know, those things that I'm being taken to task about are really true. And of course, once you, once again, what you were saying about unpacking, because it's, you know, difficult to do that. Um, but through the, that difficulty, we are hoping to recognize and provide more empathy to our fellow person as opposed to sympathy. And of course, I'm sure, you know, we all know the difference between sympathy and empathy. And then also the difference between tolerance and acceptance. And then once again, 
Um, if you feel like I'm mansplaining, feel free to let me know. And like I said, feel free to uh, jump in at any time if you, because I don't necessarily know that that's a, that's a new term for me, mansplaining. I don't. Oh, is it? Yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. Because the thing about me personally is that I'm not the biggest uh, adapter when it comes to society and pop culture. So terms now when it comes to um, LGBTQIA and it seems that they're adding more letters as they go along. Um, TikTok uh, has definitely come out of this. Uh, the different labels between millennials and Gen Z and um, Generation X and going back to the boomers and mansplaining. If you can please give me a short definition of mansplaining. Okay. So the best definition that I have in regards to mansplaining is that when a topic is being discussed, a female is giving her expertise on a topic that a man will interject his own opinion or definitions even though he lacks the qualifications that she does mm, okay so he will automatically assume he knows more about a topic or subject than she does and will interject without being asked you know it's different if someone says hey what's the difference between you know a rear and a transmission um mm -hmm. you know when somebody answers the question it's just you know um those are those are much different um you know, there's a famous example of that on, on Twitter. Um, there's a, a, an account I follow that I'm blanking on. I think her name's Katie. She's an astrophysicist. And she posted something about, um, I don't know, I remember what it was exactly, something about gravity or, or something. And, and um, the the guy who plays, what is it, the situation or whatever on Jersey Shore. Okay. Basically said, you know, does a, well, actually, blah, 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 blah. Okay. You, you know, you should really know some physics. And she goes, well, you know, I already have a doctorate. I figured that was probably anything else was going to be overkill, you know, kind of deal. So yeah. it's, it's, it's that sort of thing of, you know, oh, somebody says something and I automatically assume that I know more than this person. So I'm just going to, you know, give them my unsolicited uh, spiel. Okay. 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 So, like I said, if you feel that uh, we are... Um, you know, feel free to interject and uh, let me know if uh, I'm crossing any borders here. Um, no, nope, I think I think you're good. I think you're good. Um, what is so? What is the what is the question that you you were afraid I was going to you were mansplaining? No, no, I was. Uh, I I guess uh, what I uh, my question was is that how do you feel as I'm grasping here um, <laughs> about because we were talking about, uh, you know, being on the left and we're talking about extremes. And of course, I have seemed to come across certain people who are, I wouldn't necessarily say pandering, but have seemed to have overcompensate for their uh, trying to, um, you know, be there for black people or brown people um okay so right so i'm really 
seen them, like, you know, commercials from businesses. I, I kind of just, there's sort of white noise at this point. Uh, white noise. Um, Rimshot. They, they <laughs> because they all seem to just be like, oh, we got we to gotta put out a message, you know, showing that we're, you know, that we, we are, you know, pro-black people and pro-BLM and, and pro-diversity. And so they all put out these commercials and they all just ring false, you know, because they all, we all know that they're just putting them out for their image. And so whether they do or don't, we don't really know. Um, so I, I find that that's just sort of disingenuous. Um, you know, it's great that you put out a commercial saying, oh, we support, you know, all lives equally or, you know, Black Lives Matters or whatever. But I want to see more than that. What are you donating your money to? What are you donating your products to? What are you donating your time to? Um, those are, those are the things that matter, not just your words, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I find that those are really frustrating. Um, you know, I do see like tons of people using the, 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 what is it? The hot words, you know, diversity, inclusion, um, constantly, you know, which I get it, you know, they're trying to put out this message, but it can be a bit, I don't want to say off-putting, but it can be a bit tiring when you're like, okay, you know, how many people are just checking off boxes of, you know, what they got to do to, you know, not be called out and not be canceled. Right. Well, I still couldn't figure out for the life of me, this whole blackout Tuesday, uh, where you just put a box on, uh, whatever social media thing it was where, um, you're representing that, uh, black lives matter and that, um, a box, a black box is going to do anything. Uh, I'm sure that some people did mean well and also want to, you know, provide that agenda that they are there for, um, you know, to support other ethnicities, other, uh, backgrounds, but it takes more than just putting a black box on your profile or a black screen on your profile. So I felt that that was something that I, you know, did not understand or that was kind of, you know, um, you, there, there could have been more to that. Um, support, support black businesses, uh, support, you know, black entertainment, uh, that you can do, of course, you know, provide or, you know, be philanthropic towards, um, you know, black and brown projects, uh, that shows that you are willing to, um, you know, put aside your ego in order to amplify and provide platforms for other people. Um, so let's state on the record. Should this administration change? Should this executive branch change? What, what do you feel that you would expect from the new regime to uh, provide for all Americans. Hmm. Okay, so absolutely needs to change. 100%. What we've had the last four years is a flaming pile of garbage, and it needs to stop. That being said, um, I'm voting for Biden, but it is not happily. Um, I do not find that he is, you know, this sort of solution to Trump. He is a band-aid to Trump. Um, 
I don't think that Biden was the best selection uh, for the Democratic primary. Um, I feel that he only got it because he is, you know, he's got brand recognition and, you know, had the opportunity to raise a bunch of money and he's been in politics since God was a boy. So, you know, um, I think all of those things worked in his favor, but I don't think that he is the candidate at all. Um, you know, he has a lot of problematic issues, you know, we're talking about, you know, racism and institutional racism. He has a lot of issues that have hurt a lot of black and brown people, um, in this country. And so, you know, I don't feel that he is best suited, um, for the job, but unfortunately he's better suited. Um, it's that awful, you know, we like to say, you know, the lesser of two evils thing, which is still really screwed up when you think about it, because you're really still talking about evil, (laughs) um, going into the office. Um, I think that, you know, I mean, I think there'll be some things that he'll improve upon, you know, um, such as maybe healthcare, um, I think he'll obviously stop being so buddy-buddy with Russia and, you know, other dictators. Um, I think that, you know, especially COVID-19 response, I think will be strengthened. Um, but other than that, I'm not entirely too sure of what I can realistically hold him to. Um, you know, everybody wants to talk about, oh, well, he chose, you know, Kamala Harris as his VP, and, and that's great, but I, I don't know how much of that was checking off a box on his on his presidential run. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I'm, it's also not in my lane to talk about, but I know that there are many black people who have an issue with uh, Kamal Harris and her time as a uh, AG in California, her prosecutor in California, the harm that she committed to black people. Um, again, not my lane, so I'm not going to comment on it. Mm-hmm. But I, so I don't know really how much is going to get done um in in that regard but at the same time once again um the as you say uh the administration should change because Mm -hmm. uh like you're saying before unfortunately the four years that uh we are going through right now has created once again more empowerment for for others who differ from opinions that you do and from from what I say and do and it just seems that the question is now should the administration change and when that administration changes does that embolden uh, more white supremacy and more dissension or does it quiet down
so it's much easier for racists or misogynists or whoever to connect with each other to plan to embolden each other and reinforce each other's ideas so in that regard i don't think we're gonna i don't think it's gonna calm down i think it's just gonna be have to be combated in a different way it won't be quite as overt um you know but that's also something we need to deal with you know we're real you know we're real great at calling out like overt racism we're not so good about calling out the the covert and the subtle racism that happens um every day so Mm -hmm. so just to kind of uh go back full circle back to the arts of course, I'm sure that you've uh, read that letter, uh, White American Theater, We See You. So we've, we've probably uh, already talked about this and you probably answered the, the question uh, before, but um, as far as our local market, as far as our local circuit, um, have you basically, you know, stood out and you've seen these type of micro and macro aggressions and misogyny and and uh, certain things that uh, that have you actually come across these during your time um, in the market right now? Um, I'm trying to think. So I have seen I have seen some of these things. I mean, misogyny, I think in being a woman in theater, yeah, I've, I've experienced it. I've seen it. Um, I haven't always been comfortable uh, addressing it. You know, I haven't always had that confidence or, you know, the words to be able to uh, speak out against it like I would like to. Um, I think that I'm better now. Um, you know, and I do think that I've probably in the past seen things that are problematic in regards to race, um, and I, like, I, you know, younger Constance didn't always have, again, didn't always have the, the tools to be able to really confront it, um, you know, but I think I'm, I think I'm better with it now, um, but also because of COVID, I haven't really been in a theater setting since uh, we closed a few good men, so there's also that. What, uh, what theater companies do you look at to say that, of course, they are doing things right and they are, uh, you know, enticing the younger demographic to uh, come to their shows and to, of course, um, you know, provide uh, community relations towards, uh, towards, once again, trying to bring audience awareness. Oh, goodness. Um, so this is where my, uh, my ability to not remember names of things <laughs> becomes a problem. Um, because there's, there are so many, there's, there are a lot of really good theaters and companies. And of course, when you ask me this, I blank on them. Um, I do think that, I, I do think that Outre did a really great job at always trying to be um, gender blind, race blind when it came to casting as much as possible. Um, I, I'm not sure. Unfortunately, I probably, I, I, I know that I haven't seen as much theater as I would like to in South Florida. So unfortunately, I don't know that I can really answer that question fairly to others if that makes sense and i also not only that but i also know that i can only speak as a white woman so i can only speak you know really from the misogyny area i don't really know um in regards to race whether i qualified to even say oh yeah they're doing a good job um you know i know measure for measure has always has run 
by Damian Matherson. You know, I know that they've tried really hard to be conscientious of things. Um, I know that they've worked with uh, Nicole Perry and, um, you know, others trying to make sure that they are inclusive and diverse. Um, but again, I don't know that I can really say with any sort of real confidence that others have just because I, I'm not really affected in that way. So I, I don't know that I would always be able to identify that properly. Mm-hmm. So I don't, so say, so in short, I don't know that I'm the right person to ask. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. But yeah. um, I try to, let's see, we'll try to put a button on this before we actually get to our limit. Okay. So I suppose that my last question would be that once this uh, whole era of COVID-19 has stabilized and live performances get to a point where to get to a point of stabilization where people can go out and uh, perform and actually hold physical auditions. Um, you know, I know your, your, uh, your ambitions are to uh, actually discover more fields in other fields of law enforcement. But do you feel that you'll be able to uh, straddle the balance between, you know, a budding acting career and, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, your uh, your your occupation in uh, working for the town? I, I think I will be able to. Um, I'm fortunate that I work shift work so I can have a flexible schedule. Um, I work. I was when I decided I wanted to do theater. I went to an overnight shift so I could be available for, uh, you know, auditions and productions. Um, this last uh, bid we bid for our days off every you know six months in our shifts. Um, this last bid because there was no theater going on. You know, I, I changed my schedule. But um, I think once things become more in person, you know, I will definitely be able to go out and do auditions and perform. Um, with relative ease, uh, as it's been, you know, up until, you know, March. <laughs> so I, I don't see that being a problem. Okay. Well, once again, this was Constance Moreau. Uh, thank you very much again for taking the time out to speak with me on some, of course, difficult topics that uh, that have come across. You know, once again, I appreciate your contributions that you've done with my company, and I wish you much success in uh, your your balance between uh, being a civilian and being a theater artist. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I love coming on your show. Thank you, Kevin. Of course, of course. So once again, that was Constance Moreau. And this was the Kevin Johnson program. Thank you very much for taking the time out to listen to us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at KevJohnPro, anchor.fm forward slash KevJohnPro as well. And as always, support your local community. Take care.